As criticism of all kinds changes with the times, some of the more experienced members of the community are trying to figure things out, including what criticism is now and might be later. And I think there's just what's going on. And why critics matter. Digital media and... A.O. Scott, a chief film critic of the New York Times, has a book out with the earnest and ironic title, Better Living Through Criticism. In it, he thinks a lot about thinking, which is what critics do. Do they ever? I was just interested that you think so much about your work. You know, you write about the movies, and then you write about writing about the movies, and then you teach about writing. <laughs> yes. about I couldn't help teasing him about this a little, but it's really part of the job. I, I, that's partly just my temperament, is to always to be a little bit self-reflexive to think about what I'm doing. Scott had given some lectures about the practice and the art of criticism and found there was great interest in the work of the critic, even amidst scary questions about the future, such as, will there even be an audience for the thoughtful critic? The idea that criticism was going to be dying out because nobody cared about it anymore didn't seem right to me. So he's written a kind of analysis of criticism itself. Scott, like so many other notable critics, fell in love with the movies of the 1970s even though in his case, by the time he was old enough to see them, they were already in repertory. So I saw twice on consecutive days a double feature of Mean Streets and Taxi Driver and and a double feature of Apocalypse Now and The Deer Hunter, which is like seven hours of Vietnam. He saw earlier foreign films by Truffaut and Kurosawa and Fellini. Ironically, he discovered films this way after school at his own neighborhood theater without any pressure from, well, critics. No one was pushing me into them, so I could see them with sort of fresh eyes without that kind of burden of prestige on them. All along, Scott was forming critical opinions that he wanted to write down. David Denby, a former film critic for The New Yorker, who has recently stepped away from the critic's desk to do other pieces for the magazine, has a new book, Lit Up, which is not about criticism exactly, though it's related. The book considers questions about learning and reading and how a new generation can connect with great literature. But he'll never stop thinking like a critic. And even at the beginning, he never doubted the critic's mission. I thought it was extremely valuable on that. You know, if it weren't for the critic, there's nothing standing between publicity and the audience. You get almost a visual image from that description, the critics standing between the publicity and the audience. Denby learned from critics before him to make that kind of picture for the reader, to evoke a film you're writing about before you do anything else. I always tell kids who want to write criticism, start on the outside. If you can really describe someone's body, don't be afraid of the physical or face or the mood of a movie, the look of a movie. Then work in towards thematic stuff or moral, psychological, whatever. The French were good at theory, Denby says, when they were obsessively writing about movies after World War II. But the physicality of movies, that is our territory. We're good at that, we Americans, at getting that. And that's why our criticism flourished for so long. In many ways, Denby's outside-in approach is similar to music critic Ben Ratliff's thinking. In Every Song Ever, which is Ratliff's recent book, he reasons music is more accessible than ever before. So let's look for connections between pieces across different genres. His very personal point of view is that criticism is not so much a form as an impulse to put things together. It's finding continuities in the world. 
is what really excites me. Ratliff, New York Times jazz and pop music critic, was influenced by members of an earlier generation of critics, such as Gary Giddens, um, the jazz writer. And he and I was a blank slate. And one of the things he mentioned was that thumbs up or thumbs down is like the least interesting part of a review. And others expressed the same thought. Manny Farber once said that evaluation is a derelict appendage <laughs> of criticism. So in that tradition, rather than evaluating music in every song ever, Ratliff arranges selected pieces in chapters that lead us somewhere. He asks us to consider 20 ways to listen. One way could be to focus on music that is very fast, for example. With all these chapters, there was probably one song that I really wanted to describe. For this one, it was Jerry Lee Lewis, High School Confidential in Hamburg. And it's fast. The death-defying speed of that led him to think about the pianist Martha Argerich tearing through Liszt. And to wonder how Bud Powell ever got through salt peanuts at this speed. In really fast music, there's often some element of showing off. So the whole book connects pieces of music to one another. And in the process, you find out, by the way, what music Ben Ratliff likes. He has discovered that critics can't avoid that one major consequence of the job, self-revelation, exposure, if you will, of their deepest convictions about culture. It's just going to be in there. It's going to be in everything they write. So criticism is finally a form of autobiography. It can also be a form of argument, as it is in Better Living Through Criticism. There, critical thinking is positioned as a kind of defense against easy answers, an alternative uh, to what A.O. Scott calls the arrogance of data. You know, that we're going to have these numbers that are going to explain everything to us, and that we're going to get our gadgets out, and we're going to get the algorithms together, and we're going to figure it out. I'm not a Luddite in that way, but I've found myself particularly bothered by the idea that there's a technological solution to problems that are human problems. Hence, critical thinking which also provides an entry point for the rest of us. You're a critic. You want to keep the art alive and point to talent that breaks through. And desperately, you want desperately hard to find an audience for it. The thoughts of three highly individual author critics who think beyond thumbs up. For them, the practice of criticism has been, over many years, a way of life, which is only right, according to T.S. Eliot, no less, who said that criticism is as inevitable as breathing. For Fishko Files, I'm Sarah Fishko. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.